What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 88 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I am joined by my very good friend and Miss Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how amazing was that interview that we just did with Aaron Pauly? Honestly, really, really terrific. Really, really terrific. That is one of the smartest people I've ever had the fortune of having mm. a conversation with, having an interview with, a really genuinely cerebral um, intelligent guy who really thought about the answers he was giving. I didn't get the impression at all he was giving me the PR spiel. I absolutely don't think that happened even for a second. And it was just, it was just a lovely chat and another reminder that man, um, this is just, this is just a wonderful thing. There's um, there's a there's a quote from uh, the start of Christmas Carol where Fred says, even though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I say God bless it. And that's how I feel about this podcast, man. Whatever we are, whatever we get out of this is just, it's heartwarming, man. It's, it's a lovely, lovely thing. As you can see from the title of this episode, this is uh, a special that we've done with our interview with Aaron Pauly, our basis focus and producer uh, from Mice and Men. We're not going to keep you waiting around. We're going to get straight into that interview. It's a shame we only had 30 minutes with him because, as Sam has just alluded to, his level of detail, his answers is awesome. He has some very complimentary things to say about me and Sam as well, which was really cool to hear. Before we get into the interview, just quickly, uh, we are usually a fortnightly rock and metal podcast, but we do these extra, extra special episodes weekly when we get the chance to. Uh, you can follow me and Sam on Twitter at Noise Podcast. We both run that account. The best way to support us is by subscribing, if you're watching on YouTube, or liking slash following, depending on whichever other service for podcasts you use we are everywhere as well that's youtube spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts or watching if you're on youtube me and sam uh, will be there this is going to be our last episode normal of 2021 the next time you see me and sam will we will be joined by a noise owner jack holloway and we'll be discussing our album of the year so this is our last show really before I guess I might release that episode about December 18th. So with me and Sam, I'm going to take a rest over the Christmas break. Thank you for every watch, every subscription, every listen. Thank you so much. It's been the coolest thing of mine and Sam's life that we've had to do this over the last year and to see the growth and stuff. Um, so let's not keep you waiting around any longer. Uh, here is our interview with Aaron Pauly from Of Mice and Men. Uh, we will be back. I want to say probably the, between the 15th and the 18th of December, depending on mine, Jack and Sam's schedule for the album of the year show. Until then, follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Subscribe on YouTube or like and follow, depending on whichever podcast service you use. This is us, Chris and Sam, with Aaron Pauly from Of Mice and Men. Check it out. Enjoy it. See you later. So in an insanely, insanely cool month for the podcast, we are now joined by Aaron Pauly, bassist, vocalist, producer of Of Mice and Men, and anything oh, else we want to throw in the in the ring. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Doing? Of many hats. Dude, this is a crazy, crazy honour for us, man. Like Without putting too much pressure on you immediately, Of Mice and Men were really important in my like kind of formative years of getting into alternative music and metalcore. Um, so without like making you feel uncomfortable right away, of most have been a huge <laughs> have been a huge band for that me rules, personally man, thank you. that rules seriously thank you makes me feel old <laughs> uh, sam i'm gonna let you kick things off with a question <laughs> but i want to echo a few statements as well mate it's just fantastic to have you on here it's just wonderful to have you share some time with us man so yeah thanks um so obviously echoes is on the verge of, of of sort of coming out and being received and all this sort of thing it's been the last few months sort of come out as a collection of EPs first over the course of the year. Talk to me about the um, the thought process that went behind releasing the album as like a stage of EPs with this sort of final album coming out at the end of the process, as opposed to your traditional hype and singles, music videos, and then one big album release all at once. What was the decision making behind that? Um, 
you know, we it was an idea that we'd actually had for several albums. Um, I think right around the time we started working on Defy was when we really thought about wanting to sort of episodically release an album's worth of material. Um, but, you know, at the time, if you're going back, you know, three, four years um, before COVID, before the pandemic sort of like radically changed, like album cycles and things like that, um, there was always sort of too much going on as far as touring or as far as like the other sort of aspects of being an active band. Um, so it never really made tons of sense, but right around the end of 2019, we actually, we signed with Sharp Tone, and one of the things that was um, sort of instrumental in us wanting to sign with them was, you know, when we took meetings with labels after our Rise contract was done with Earth and Sky, one of the big things we talked about was, you know, our vision of wanting to release an album in the form of EPs with songs dropping sort of every few weeks. So the idea of like, releasing your album throughout the year instead of just all at once at the end of a year's worth of promotion or whatnot. Uh, and Sharptone was really, really excited about it. Not, not just, um, not just like, yeah, we'll let you guys do that. Cause it is sort of a risk for a label or anything. Cause it's, it's kind of an unconventional way of releasing music. I think in, in the rock space, um, maybe not so much like pop and hip hop, but um, they were really excited about it, about the idea of having sort of multiple individual projects um, with separate art, separate music videos. Uh, and the whole idea was, you know, as we sort of create music and as we sort of bank the songs, you know, as they sort of live in Dropbox and develop and whatnot, um, for us, it was exciting because we could work on something small that was meaningful to us at the time, tell a lot about whatever we're going through, about what the world's going through, and then put it out. And by the time the audience hears it, it's not its not a past lived experience that you're then sharing. It's something that's still sort of relevant to you. So the information that you're, you know, the information and the exchange of ideas and emotion is still kind of current and relevant to you as you're living it. And I think that really sort of excited us because, um, you know, when you're on your essentially like seventh full length um being able to do stuff that's a little bit different and and a little risky and well not even a little it's like it's a big risk you know to sort of change up the way you've been doing things but um for a band like us that's literally always working on music like we are always working on new music um that's probably the most exciting and relevant way for us to release music you, you mentioned risk there, and actually, uh, me and you spoke earlier this year. Aaron, I was interviewing you for a magazine at that point, and that was obviously right when the curation of the EPs as a trio was was really announced. It was around March, I think, we spoke, yeah. and you were talking about the concept of risk then and how you thought it was going to be a great idea, but obviously, you didn't know. Uh, in oh, yeah. terms, now we're almost at you're, you're at the back end of the experience. Really, Echo is out in what four, four days. How would you evaluate it? As a, as a whole experience now? Has everything gone how you would have expected it to go? Is there anything that you think in retrospect, perhaps we should have done this differently? Or has it basically been everything you wanted it to be? Uh, it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and that's, I think, primarily because you're working with um, each little individual piece, each EP has its own artwork. It has its own assets, video, promotion, everything. Um and I guess I didn't really think about that at the time, but it, it was probably more work, I think, than we've ever put into anything. Um, but the fan reaction and the way that it was sort of a more episodic conversation rather than, 
oh yeah, your album, we put it out. And, and, you know, I, sometimes I feel like an album is a lot to digest, especially if you're trying to sort of push the boundaries a little bit on your own creativity. Sometimes you can, um, lose the audience or scare the audience into, uh, and it is, it's a very weird sentiment for me being a musician, but like the whole idea of like a band putting out a record that you don't particularly like. And in your mind, you're like, the band has changed into this thing. <laughs> like the old albums don't exist or whatever. Um, there's way less of that. There's a lot less like trepidation. There's more just sort of creative freedom when you're working on three songs, knowing we can get a little weird with this one. And worst case scenario, it's the weird one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good, yeah. But I think best case scenario, which is what I what I think we accomplished with it, was we were able to sort of blur the lines a little bit on each of the EPs as far as, you know, developments in our songwriting and in sort of our use, like heavy use of sampling and sound design for this record. Because a lot of these songs were sort of based around cool sounds in little synths and samplers and things that we were messing around with. So um, I think it's... It was successful in terms of what we wanted to do artistically, and I think at the same time it was successful in terms of how our fans received it because, um, you know, as somebody who loves music, and I'm like a big consumer of music aside from just creating it, um, it's nice to have something to look forward to and to know that in a couple weeks there's going to be a new song from, from an artist that I like. So I think um, I'm saying um a lot like a jackass. <laughs> but uh, I, th I think it, it was an important time during the pandemic for creative people to be creative and do creative things. And the fact that we got to work with brilliant artists like Derek Hess for the artwork, um, Frankie Nasso and his team for the music videos, it just ha it got a lot of creative people working on creative projects all the time to the point where it was probably exhausting. But Well, on, on that, actually, you talk about um, the EPs being either episodic or uh, a more a opportunity for you guys to reflect any songwriting changes and things like that. When you see them as separate, if you do see them as separate EPs from a listening perspective, you can almost tell, all right, this is like the traditional of mice and men metal core sort of moment for them creatively. This is where they're sort of stretching out a little bit it, for you guys, obviously releasing it under the, the echoes moniker at the end of the year. Do you see them as an artist as common threads of which these are, little moments of that common thread or do you legitimately mentally when you're putting them together see them as completely separate entities that you've now sort of constructed together at the end of that process or was it always always intended to be something that had that commonality throughout i think that the beautiful thing about the project was that i don't really feel like the thread fully revealed itself until it was done and we can sort of look at the whole thing top down and realize you know that we shared a lot of our own personal lives and what we were going through and how that sort of relates with existential questioning that happens as you get older and as you sort of can evaluate your life and your time here in relative terms to like other people and historical events and things like that. Um, it's hard because it's it's not something that we sat out consciously to do. I don't think that the goal was ever, oh, this is what the album's going to be about. Because we, you know, for me, it's about the songs. Every song is sort of its own, um, its own emotional expression. And then my job as a lyricist is to, um, is to A, not fuck it up with my voice, um, 
and B, not convolute whatever the emotional quality of the song is with words, you know? It's, it's yeah. for me, vocals and, and, and all of that is sort of like a, a secondary sort of complementary thing to whatever the emotional quality of the music is. And that comes from a place of, uh, it sounds very cliche, but that, it's a very pure expression, you know, to, to create a music piece that has no lyrics or vocals and to really get a sense of what that is trying to convey. Um, I think from a creative standpoint, when you're doing that from a very honest place and you're not trying to think too much about the end product, but you're just trying to think about how you're expressing right in the moment, um, it ends up being a very complimentary process. But I don't Says think... So does it you see yourself more as a musician than a lyricist, and does it kind of hint at a, a a potential instrumental of Mice and Men song moving forward or something where you think, you know what, this doesn't need lyrics, the emotional weight is conveyed perfectly already? Um, I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever do something like that, because I think, I think that the lyrics and melodies and vocals is very important and, and is sort of a, a bridging connection for a lot of people. A lot of people who aren't musicians can hear music and they're like, okay, cool, but it's sort of that, you know, it's sort of that second hand that you're reaching out with to really grab onto them. Um, yeah. But, you know, I've learned to never say never, so I don't ever say never. So it's possible, but uh, I would say it's unlikely. Fair enough. I just dashed somebody's dreams out there. <laughs> Mine, mainly. <laughs> when when it was announced that you were signed to Sharp Town, I was so pleased because I think that is the perfect marriage in the sense of Sharp Town is this label that is just brimming with insane young talent. And of Mice and Men are a band that are still young, but we've got this huge wealth of experience behind you as well. Now, something I, I was curious of the second I saw that announcement. When when you were like when most men were in the inf- they were in the infancy and you were a younger band than you are now, do you think young bands would benefit more, benefit more from someone tapping them on the shoulder all the time and saying this isn't a good decision, or should they be allowed to make their own mistakes and learn? Like for you, for example, if you were having a conversation with Loath and Loath were telling you what they were going to do next, would you? Do you think it would be beneficial to be like, guys, that might not be a good call? Or would you allow that to happen and then they learn and curate their own experience from that? Um, if I've learned anything, it's that um, every situation's different and I don't necessarily trust my own instincts with a lot of things. So I think in terms of maybe stuff on the back end like financial decisions things like that i think there's definitely a there's definitely something to be gained from that like i i speak highly of lincoln park and will forever not just cuz their music affected my life and changed my life but when we toured with them they made it a point to sort of ask us questions about our business or about the back end or about the way we were doing things or about the way we sort of conceptualized things and it was never uh in terms of like yeah, do this, don't do this, but here's how we do it. And right. I think, um, you know, to make yourself available, but at the same time, it, it's completely overbearing. And I think the worst thing that can happen is you try and force your lived experiences onto somebody else who hasn't yeah. lived those experiences. Yeah. And you go, oh, just fuck off. And, and then whatever good advice you did have isn't going to, uh, isn't going to be worth a damn if someone's not going to listen to it or, or pay any credence to it. But, um, I think that's something that the scene has always been good about, though, is 
for the most part, I don't know that tons of the bigger acts have ever or, or not even necessarily bigger acts, but older acts or more experienced acts, or as I call them, jaded acts. Um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> make, make themselves available. You know, that's for me. That's a big thing. Is I don't. I'm. You know, my opinion is worth just as much as anybody else's opinion. But if if somebody were to ask me or want to know things, you know, I make myself available to that. Yeah, I think that's very, very fair. I want to talk a little bit about something that, that, that Chris referred to at the start. You produced and mastered this album yourself while also being the vocalist and the bassist, which just seems like a gigantic um, burden or pressure or, or, or even a freeing um, concept for you. So I want to ask what the decision-making process was behind doing that for this particular thing, because you didn't just sign yourself up for one album. You essentially signed yourself up for a series of mini albums. Yeah. And 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 is that is that going to be the future for of Mice and Men? Is that the way you see yourself producing music? Have we set a new trend, or is this just like you were talking about with the EP situation? This was an experience. You're looking forward to seeing how it comes out and that type of thing. Uh, you know, it, it was born out of necessity at the time uh, when the mm -hmm. pandemic started locking everything down. One of the first things that actually went was the studio that we had done, restoring Force Full Circle, um, and then we recorded. Uh, Earth and Sky is hybrid studios that uh, it went for sale and we were like, OK, well, that's not going to be an option. Uh, the way that we produce this record is is 90, 90 percent the same as we would basically just do with our own pre-production, where we would have these songs basically entirely finished. We would have a lot of um, imagine it like a cake. We would have baked the cake and we would have got the frosting. We might have just not have dyed it yet or mm -hmm. or got it fully there to where it's presentable and show ready. Yeah. But essentially a lot of it's already done. So for us, um, the last th anything that I'd done mixing wise or mastering wise for the band was uh, live at Brixton. So I mixed and mastered that, which was, I think, in 20 2015 or 2016 that that came mm -hmm. out. So... Um, with sharp tone, the whole, the whole idea was like, yeah, we'll just show us the song, show us what it is. And, you know, we'll sort of take it from there. Um, we had signed with them in 2019. We had also put out a record in 2019. So I didn't know, um, or I didn't, it's not that I didn't know. There was really no sort of expectation, I guess, from the label to say, oh, we need stuff immediately. You know, yeah. if, you, if you follow a traditional release schedule, we could have put something out you know, essentially at the end of the year um, or not, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, it was more just about, you know, the creative process was more freeing because we could all record our own parts and we could sort of experiment. I know for myself personally, a lot of the vocal structuring and sort of the, the change in vocal presence between... Mm -hmm past albums in this one is probably an evolution in terms of layering and um, really sort of trying to use the sound and creation and production of the album as a songwriting element outside of just, you know, how do we make this sound good? Um, and I know that I wouldn't have done that if somebody would have been behind the, the, the board, if you will, because right. if I'm sitting in a booth and I know somebody's pressing buttons, my whole goal is to get finished with something of quality so that they can keep working. Right. But, if it's, but if it's me that's pushing the buttons, I don't at all mind wasting four hours of my own time <laughs> messing with a harmony stack or something that ends up becoming bloom 
you know. Yeah. So it was um it wasn't necessarily a ton of pressure because after we had turned in obsolete, which was basically just a rough bounce. It wasn't even a mix. It was just like a rough bounce of obsolete. The label goes, sick, awesome. And we're like, oh, <laughs> we can we can just produce this ourselves. And they're like, yeah. It's like, say say less. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was uh, it was a really fun experience, and I think we all learned a lot. And at the same time, it sort of. Um, it sort of validated our efforts in a way too, because now we know that we can do this ourselves and we can make a record with just the four of us and have something of quality that we can put out, you know, and it's not just about having something of quality that you can put out, but our fans, our fans are telling us that they like this music mm -hmm. more than they like a lot of the old music and they like the mix more than they like the old mixes. And it's, it's somewhat funny and also validating, you know, to think, Five, six years ago, we wouldn't have been having this conversation because it's, well, we're going to go to a studio, we're going to work with a producer, we're going to make the record, we're going to go on. Yeah, tour. of course. But you know, the conversation can now be, we're going to sit amongst ourselves and create music and be able to put out a viable product and not just viable to the label, but it's something that our fans really enjoy, which to us, you know, you get to a certain point in your career where it's, it's, it's not necessarily that you take your platform or your success for granted, but I think you're willing to give yourself a little, you're willing to sort of walk closer to the edge and peek over a little bit, you know, knowing you might fall off. <laughs> so it was fun. It was a really, really sort of um, very challenging. And at the same time, there was probably less pressure in the traditional sense of worrying if the producer likes it, worrying if the label likes it. But when you are the producer, then you, it's just about if you like it and if it speaks true to you. Um, so it sort of took out this other checklist element of, oh, we got to make sure this passes this person before it keeps going. So I just rambled a lot. <laughs> no, no, that I was really continue. interesting. That was really interesting. I tend to do that. <laughs> There's this idea that bands don't allow themselves to be missed enough these days. I mean, you know, like pre-pandemic, the bands would tour, release an album, tour, release an album. And and some people criticise that that's the concept that has to be done because of the way the music industry is now. But some people like, oh, I wish, I wish they allowed us to miss them more, to, to go away, for, we'll take a break for a while and then come back. And there's this idea that it is better to be missed and come back than to stay around for the foreseeable. But do you, you know, you release, let's call it three records in four years, if we look at Echo as the full piece now. But do you feel like if the quality is good, it doesn't matter about the amount of content that you're putting out because three records in four years is quite some going. Uh, yeah, I fully agree with that. It's sort of, uh, think of your favorite television shows. Would you be, would they be your less favorite if they put out more of them? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I think there sort of is that, um, mentality, but I think at the same time as somebody, if you can sort of switch your brain from the creator to consumer side, I think things that you love, as long as they're up to snuff, and I think that's a big thing too, is, is a lot of times people can look at uh, a quantity over quality sort of um, ethos for it. And I definitely think that your audience will know and it will catch up. If you're just pumping out stuff to pump out stuff and it's not um, coming from a very honest place and you're not putting all of the work into it, I think the audience definitely picks up on that. But... Um, 
you know, one of my favorite bands in the world is Tool, and they went a decade between putting out albums. Uh, and as, as a Tool fan, that kind of sucks, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it, it does drum up hype for whatever the new project is, but I think for true fans, if you can sort of... Um, and every band is different. Some bands, it takes a decade to get a true piece that's honest to you. Because to me, music is all about the expression um, you know, it's, it's, it's more about the, the ramp to take off than it is about mm -hmm. thinking about your landing. Um, and so for us, we are always working on music for us. It's not, it's not a stretch for us to try and honestly and genuinely create something that means something to us because we're doing it all the time. Um, but that's, I think, single-handedly the most important thing. So whether or not it takes you two years to get an album's worth of material that comes from, you know, your lived experiences and it comes from a genuine place of wanting to express yourself, or if you can do that, you know, every few months, um, I think as long as that's your focus, then I don't think it really matters how often you put stuff out. Because I think music as a language, people will latch onto it if you're expressing from a honest place yeah so um speaking about that one so we talked a little bit about the musical expression a little bit about the lyrical um read a recent quote that you gave talking about echoes and you mentioned it as about a an existential dilemma and sort of the lack of control that we have in life now that from my sort of layman's outside outside of the of my cement sphere interpretation that feels like a pandemic influence lyrical lyrical subject matter and is that is that close? Is that close to? Is the last two years been the the sort of base for some of the lyrical content here, or is it, or is there a more wider metaphor you're trying to hit at with some of the songs on Echoes? I think that that was just sort of an accelerating catalyst, and also sort of a magnifying glass. Um, to be honest, I think a lot of it just has to do with uh, I'm 33 now, and I think when you when you transition from your 20s into your 30s, you sort of start having more of these existential conversations with yourself. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to, I, I remember hearing in history class, uh, my history teacher talk about uh, something that happened 100 years ago. And you're like, when you're a little kid, 100 years, that's forever. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're 33, I, I'm a third of the way there already. And I think your, your, your gauge of time and your gauge of not just how time itself goes and how actually short 100 years is, um, it, it really puts into focus uh, how short your time is and how short all of our time is. And I think the older you get, it's not that you think about it more, but it's almost like a sixth sense that you are just more aware of. It's sort of like when you break a bone and it starts aching before it rains. And it's not that you've, it's not that you're constantly thinking about the rain all the time, but it's just, you have, you have this part of you that is keenly aware of your own impermanence and just, you know, the short amount of time that you're here, you know, and the older you get, the more family and friends you lose, the more um, television shows and bands that you love go away, the more things change. Um, and I, I really think it's something that you become more sensitive to as you get older. And I think having the pandemic sort of press the stop button on everything and also just shine a giant magnifying glass on, look how everything has changed. Um, 
it sort of compounds those feelings. So the first EP, even though we had dropped it during the pandemic, most of those songs, even the lyrics, all of it was written before that. It was written before the lockdowns and before everything else. And it just, it happened to relate at, you know, the perfect time and perfect place for whatever was going on. But I would have been having those feelings regardless, you know, because there's sort of a, and there's sort of a changing of guard. I feel like that happens when you, when you go from your twenties to your thirties, you're no longer really a young person. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, I'm as far from my, from my teenage years as I am close to them, you know? And I think <laughs> there's sort of a changing of guard where you realize you're not really the youth anymore. The youth exists outside of you and outside of sort of the things that you're into and talking about. And there is sort of this whole uh, existential, not necessarily crisis. It becomes a crisis sometimes, but there's this existential dilemma where you just sort of, you know, you question whether or not you're the covered wagon makers when you start seeing the cars, you know? And I think the older you get, the more keenly aware you become of how everything goes away and how everything changes. And it's important to sort of appreciate the things you love while you love them because they're not always going to be there. I'm 29 in five weeks and you've just scared the shit out of me. So thank you for that on a, on a Monday evening. But it's, but it's, a, it's a good thing. It, it can be, it can be scary, but at the same time, I feel like it's deeply enlightening. Yeah, of course. It also, it also sort of makes you really disconnected from that young person that never really felt that felt those things. You know, I can't recall ever having these sort of conversations with myself in my twenties. But I think now that I'm in my 30s, I have more time, especially with the pandemic. You just sort of have more time to think about those things. And you're sort yeah. of your metric of gauging what 100 years is really sort of, yeah. you know, becomes infinitely more relatable. Absolutely. Aaron, you're a man that's short on time, and I'm sure there's probably another journalist writing for you right now. So thank you for the level of insight that you've given us. Um, <laughs> uh, dude, thank you so much for this. This was like an incredibly, incredible, cool honor for yeah, me. Yeah, no, thank you guys so much. And again, sorry for that. Uh, sorry for that. That mix-up. No, that's all good, man. Um, no, dude, not Echo, all. Echo is awesome. Uh, I'm really proud of what you guys have accomplished, and I'm really proud. I'm really happy for you, and I can't wait for the next time you tour the UK. Me and Sam will be there again, and we'll be having the time of our lives again, man. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, we'll have a pint. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> hold just that, mate. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for your time. Thank you guys for covering the music, and honestly, thank you for the very thoughtful questions and for the kind words. This we appreciate was, that, man. It was a pleasure. A lot of the times, you know, it can be, uh, well, what's your favorite color? Who farts <laughs> the most? Or, you know, but uh, this was great. And I, uh, I look forward to coming back and talking more. Thank you, man. We take real pride in that. Thank you so much. That's really cool of you, Aaron. Oh, yeah. You guys are killing it. Thank you so much. Cheers, dude. Thank you. Take care.